0: I find myself, you know, I, I like being from the South, and, and I always pride myself, going, you know, things are a little bit slower down there, but, you know, I've been in New England for, for over a decade now, and I find myself, you know, once you get, no, I'm not, if you're from Virginia, don't take this the wrong way, but once you get down to Virginia, you go to a drive-thru restaurant, even that is slow. Listen, I remember, I just, I remember it happens to me all the time. I drive up to McDonald's and I go, man, there's nobody in line. It's the drive-thru. And I get up to the little, you know, machine and I wait for the voice. I'm waiting. Finally, there's this response and I'm like, okay, good. And I, and I order. there's nobody in front of me. There's not even any cars in the parking lot. And I pull up to the window and I'm waiting for my food. Like five minutes goes by and like, what are you doing and i'm looking through the window and you see people just kind of standing around and i just don't and here's the thing i'm on vacation i don't even have to be anywhere but we're so used to having to respond so quickly and you guys are laughing because you're the same way up here in new england you know you go to drive there's a long line people are just used to it you get your food pretty quickly if you have to wait you know a minute or two we start getting frustrated response we like response We like response quickly. Goes on beyond that. We upgrade everything. We upgrade our phones when they're not even broken. We upgrade computers. My first computer, you turn the thing on, go upstairs, have supper, come back down, finally it's up and running. And I was happy with that. That was good. Not in today's world. We're upgrading computers we want it faster right I mean look at the marketing right hey our network is faster our cable is faster this computer is faster you need a new phone because it responds quickly we we get frustrated over seconds now this thing is taking too long it's not uploading We need faster, more, so we upgrade all of our devices. We spend tons and tons of money so we can operate faster, more efficiently, more effectively, and quicker. And we want the response immediately. We want the reaction right away. This is true also even in our arguing with people. We like response. I hate having an argument with someone and they go quiet. And they don't say anything. You know, you ever had that? You're you're talking, it's intense fellowship. I'm sure it's not with your spouse because that never happens. But you're in intense fellowship and they just go quiet. And you're like, say something. Be angry. Throw something. But do something. Respond. Don't just sit there. This is this communication. We like response. Our relationships. If there's no response in relationships, relationships don't last long. You don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend that never responds to you. You'll can them. They're gone. We like response. So we're a society that understands response. We live in a culture that is driven by immediate response. It's something we understand well. Got a few more questions for you, just to drive this point home. How many of you got up this morning and you went to the mirror? Thank you. (laughs) You went to the mirror And you looked in the mirror and did something about what you saw. Some of you, I could tell you didn't do that. I'm just kidding. But you walk to the mirror, right? This is what we do. We believe in response. We get up, we walk to the mirror in the morning, and you look in the mirror, and you go, this is not good what I see. At least this is the story of my life. This is not good, what I see. I see things that are out of place. I think things that need to be fixed. And then I actually look in the mirror, and I go, yeah, it's ugly. And then I switch the light off and go, that's much better. I'm ready now for the world, because I can't see, and I walk out. No, I don't do that. I look in the mirror, and I go, yeah, it's not good. And I look at my repertoire of tools, believe me, to try and make what what I'm looking at look a little bit better. And so I brush my hair, and I fix everything up, and, and you ladies put on makeup and all kinds of things and you, you look at what you see and you respond to it and you go, okay, maybe it's not great but it's a whole lot better than what it was and now I'm ready to face the world, right? Did Anybody not do that? You probably should, all right? <laughs> Just go to the mirror, look. We all looked at the mirror. We all looked and went, yeah, okay, I think this is maybe presentable, hopefully. Guys, you don't want me up here unless I look in the mirror before I come. Because you don't want to be like, yeah, that's my pastor. No, it's a good thing, right? And again, what we don't do is walk to the mirror, look at it, and go, yeah, it's not bad, switch the light off and go, that's a lot better, I'm fixed, and go out. No, we respond. When I asked you this morning, how do you respond to this? How do you respond when you open up this word and you read it and you see something that's talking to the depths of your heart and you see yourself, especially when you see yourself in a negative light? Because this too demands a response. We're a people who understand the necessity of responding. We are a people of response in everything that we do. We upgrade when things don't respond quick enough. We fix things in the mirror when we see things out of joint, but when we open this book, the words of God Almighty, and we look and we come face-to-face with ourselves and face-to-face with God, how do you respond? This morning, we're going to look at King Josiah. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings, and it's... The story is actually in, in Kings chapters 22 through 23. It's also found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 through 35. And I'm not going to read all the chapters, so i have put them up on uh, PowerPoint behind me when we get there. But I want to give you a little bit of history before we move forward. When King Josiah died, he was 39 years old. But he was remembered as Judah's greatest king. He was a good, obedient king. And he loved God, unlike his father and his grandfather before him. So I want to give you a bit of a, a history here of, of what's happened before we get to, to, to Josiah, because it's important to look back to see where he comes from, to see the battles that happened before him. So his grandfather was King Manasseh, all right? Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned for 55 years, and he was an evil king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Not only did he intentionally offend God by desecrating Solomon's temple with idols, but he worshiped pagan gods and even sacrificed his children to them. Literally. And so some of the things that he did is, now his father was King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was not a perfect man, but he was a good, God, he was a good king. And so when Manasseh comes in, he just walks away from everything he learned from his father, and he just walks in the face of God. And so what he does is he rebuilt the high places of pagan worship that his father Hezekiah had demolished. He erected altars to the bowels and made uh, Asherah poles, idol poles that represented a a certain God that they bowed down to and prayed to. He bowed down to all of the starry hosts, and he worshipped them. In fact, in both courts of, of, of the Lord's temple, he built altars to the starry hosts altars to other gods within God's house. He practiced sorcery, witchcraft, and consulted the mediums and spiritualists. Manasseh led Judah and the people of Israel astray. After he had been reigning for 23 years, the Assyrian army comes in and he actually ca- uh, captures Manasseh. Manasseh's taken away, and he's imprisoned, and he's imprisoned for 12 years. And while he's in prison, empty, broken, he cries out to God. He repents, and God restores him. He restores him, he restores his freedom, and restores him back to his kingdom, And for the next 20 years, the last 20 years of his kingship, basically he's trying to undo the wrongs that he did for the first 23 years. 55 years he reigned. And although he was restored, Manasseh allowed the high places of idolatry to remain. When Manasseh died, all right, so again, this is Josiah's grandfather. When Manasseh died, he was succeeded by his son, Ammon. Iman was 22 years old when he became king. He also did evil in the eyes of the Lord, the same evil that his father had done in his first 23 years. He worshipped and offered sacrifices, to the same idols that Manasseh had made. But unlike his father, he never humbled himself. He never repented. He reigned for two years before he was assassinated by his own officials in his palace. And so into this history of evil kings comes Josiah. Josiah was made king when he was eight years old. It's young to be a king. Josiah is made king at eight years old, and he reigns in Jerusalem for 31 years. But amazingly, Josiah was not like his father, and Josiah was not like his grandfather. The hand of God was on Josiah. In his eighth year as king, he began to seek the God of David, not the God of his father and the God of his grandfather, not, not, not the pagan gods. He began to seek the God of David. And in his, this 18th year as king, an unexpected event turned his energies in a new direction. He began to repair the temple that had just basically been ruined they let it go, basically. He began to repair this temple. And as they were repairing this temple, they were overturning all the rubbish and all the junk and putting things right when the priest, the high priest, discovers a buried and forgotten copy of the law. Scholars say that Manasseh had gone out of his way to destroy all the copies of the law that he possibly could. He burned them. But in this, there's a copy of the law that is found. By the high priest, think about it. It's buried. It's there the whole time, but it's buried. Nobody's paying attention to it, and so he finds it. And now we'll pick up the story. Second Kings, chapter twenty-two, verses eight through thirteen. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, "I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord," and he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Verse ten. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king. He said, Helkiah, the high priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of King Josiah. Verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Verse 13. King Josiah says this. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And so he sends uh, them off to go and and talk with the uh, the prophetess Huldah, who also lived in Jerusalem, and we read her response starting at verse 15 through 20. Uh, The prophetess Holder says this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you'll be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. You know, when I think about this and I think about how Josiah, here's this, here's this young man. I mean, he dies at 39 after reigning for 31 years. Here's a man that steps into this kingship. And he walks oppositely of his father and his grandfather. It takes guts, it takes courage, it takes boldness as a young man to stand and despite what you've seen two generations before you to worship the God of David. And so here's this man and he's doing some things and he's restoring Israel and the book of the law is read to him and he responds amazingly to it. You know, I guess he could have responded with a couple of things like, you know, I think it's easy for us to kind of justify and come up with excuses. I think if I was Josiah, I might have said, well, you know, you know I'm trying the best I can, but, you know, my grandfather Manasseh, look what he did. I mean, he started all of this. 55 years he reigned and, and he started all this. I'm coping as best I can. And then my father, after that, you know, he, he, he started the same practices. What do you want me to do? I guess he had all kinds of excuses that he could have used. All kinds of reasons he could say, you know, this is why it's not looking the way it should. But he doesn't do that all he sees is this, that in this book of the law, and they believe it was probably Deuteronomy, but in in this book of the law, I see a picture of what is to be, and in in this picture of what is to be, I see myself and this country for what it is, and it doesn't line up. doesn't matter whose fault is. It doesn't matter how many excuses or reasons for it. And so what he does is in his grief, he doesn't deny it. He doesn't defend it. He recognizes it, and he just he does what they do in those days when they, when they mourn. He tears his robes, and he weeps before God. And he says, in the light of what I'm reading, in the light of what God commands, I see myself, and we come up short, and I am horrified by this. Oh, God, forgive us. And he says, what do you want us to do? How do we respond? Because God's wrath has got to be against us. You know, when I, when I think about this, Romans chapter 7 comes to my mind. When Paul says this, 7 verse 8, uh, chapter 7, verse 8, he says, Apart from the law, sin is dead. Apart from the law, there is no sin. And what he's basically saying is, man, if it wasn't for the rules, if it wasn't for the commandments, there is no sin. If, there wasn't, if, I, if I didn't read this and go, man, this is what it says how I should live, then there is no sin. It's all good. He says, but the commandments are righteous, and the commandments are good. He says, and they bring life. When you live according to them, they bring life. He says, but what I get from these righteous, good commandments, I don't receive life. What I receive is death. And what he means by that is, man, when I, when I read the law of God, when I read his words, his righteousness, and the way he tells me to live highlights the way I live. You know, you don't really know what darkness is until you bring light into a room, right? I mean, when you bring light into a room, you can identify areas of darkness where that light isn't. You don't know what darkness or light is until a light shines in the darkness. And so in this law, as as. as even as Paul says, this man, he goes, when I, so when I read these rules, when I, when I see this law, it, I, I identify in myself. He goes, man, I don't identify with the righteous living. But really, when I see myself, when I'm honest, I seem to identify more with the sinful nature than I do with the righteous nature. i not about you, but I find this so true in my life. And he goes on to say, man, the things that I don't want to do, I do. The things that I want to do, I don't seem to do. But I know that in my mind, what I want is righteousness. What I want is from God. But I find this law at work in myself. What I don't want to do, I do. What I want to do, I struggle to do. And he says, who will save me from this body? And he says, praise be to Jesus Christ, because he died for me. And so Paul's seeing this, he goes, man, it's this law, it's these commandments. When Jesus comes and, 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 and he preaches, he tells us, man, it's not just murder, it's hate. It's not just the action, it's the thought. Man, when you hear that, I want you to know what happens is we stand convicted, we stand guilty. All of us stand there, and what he does when he preaches it, it doesn't bring life so much as it brings death. Because we look at ourselves and go, man, how can I stand? I feel horrible in this. but that's why Jesus came. And he came because we do stand guilty. And he came and he died for us that our response to him determines and gives us life. And so in this, we can see Josiah kind of doing the same thing. He opens the law, God's word, and in the reading or the hearing of it, it throws light into what they're not doing and how they're not living. And he looks into the mirror And he sees himself, he sees Israel for who they are and for what they've become. What do you do? How do you respond when you open this book? How do you respond when you come face to face with your sin in this book? How do you react to God? Do you defend it? Do you deny it? Do you hide it? Do you close it? Do we put it away somewhere? You know, so many of our Bibles are sitting on our shelves collecting dust and never being opened, kind of like the book of the law. They found it in the temple of God under rubbish and under all because It had been pushed to the side. They weren't even reading. They didn't know it. And some of us don't pick this up enough. But when we do pick it up, and you see yourself in this, how do you respond? Romans 7, 9 says this, Once I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. He say, man, before I realized what the law was, before God identified sin in my life, I felt pretty good, but then I saw myself for who I was. And at that point, through the law, death came to me. Guys, I just got to be honest with you. There, there are so many things in this Bible that I really, really wish weren't in here. Because it would make my life so much easier. I mean, I, it would be so nice just to just be able to take a pen and go, yeah, uh, this really doesn't sit well with me. Because this really shows that I've got this really, this ugliness in me that I don't like. I'm just going yeah, to, that's better. That flows better. That makes me feel a little bit better. And, you know, this over here, too, I was reading this, and, and this challenges me, and I don't know that I agree because it doesn't line up with what society believes. And, it, man, it sounds, sounds hateful. I don't, this, this can't be from God. We'll just, we'll just get rid of this right here. And we begin to put this Bible into place and go, oh, yeah, and we begin to remove from it or deny the things that challenge our lives. And that's how we respond. Now, sometimes we go, you know, yeah, this, I don't like this. We're just, yep, okay, put that down. Let me tell you something. That is no different than walking into the mirror in the morning, looking at your ugliness after sleeping all night, looking and going, yeah, I don't like what I see, and turn the light off and going, I'm ready to face the day now. We don't do that. It's not the way we move. Because we know that turning the light off doesn't achieve anything. It doesn't correct anything. It just darkens the mirror. But now what we do is we look with the light on. And we begin to fix and compensate and change what we see. It's funny how we understand that that's what we do when we look in the mirror. Boy, when it comes to God's word, sometimes we turn the light off. Let's just close it. This is why they stoned the prophets in the Old Testament. I don't want to have to deal with... With myself. I don't want to see myself, so let me turn the light off. Let me shut down your words. Let me get you to stop preaching. Let me leave this church because I feel convicted when I hear God's word. Let me go somewhere where it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable where I don't have to deal with myself. And here's the truth we will all come face to face with God and face to face with ourselves. And when you step into the light, there's some bright lights on this platform. And when you step into this light, you can see things clearer now in the light. than what I can when I'm standing in this darkness, and when we step before God and His perfectness and everything, His righteousness, and He's holy and pure and good, and we stand there, there will be things on you that you see that go, oh man, I don't like what I see. And you're not going to be able to step out into the darkness to get away from it. And all of us will have this encounter with God. And the difference for those who call out to Jesus Christ is that God no longer sees them for who they are. He sees them through Jesus who filters them. Jesus stands in front and says, No, you're seeing this person, but you see them through me, through my death, through my shed blood. I've paid the price for those sins and for those stains. And so we are covered by his righteousness. and We are covered by his forgiveness. And so we're not seen for who we are. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. No matter how righteous you are, Jesus, when he came and he talked to the Pharisees, his biggest problem with the Pharisees is that they had this ability to open up the law and go, man, I've got this. I'm pretty good. I'm really not that bad. He called them hypocrites. I want to tell you, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every pastor. That means me. None of us. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That means me, your pastor, is a sinful man, saved by grace, righteous, not because of myself, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because I humble myself and I don't deny my sins and I go, God, in my filth and in the things that I don't like about me, God, would you forgive me? And that will be a picture of my life until the day I die, because I will never be perfect. And as I live my life, because of God's love and His grace, as I open up His words, He will constantly reveal to me areas of my life that are sinful. And it will never stop. And my response to that is huge. I can deny it, I can close it, I can turn the light off, I can walk away. Or I can look at it and go, yeah, That's an ugly picture of me. And I don't like it. And I don't even know that I have the strength to change it. But I know that Jesus came and died for me. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking through your strength would you help me? Would you set me free from this sinful nature, from what you want, for for, for what I am? How do you respond when you open His Word? James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, when we open this, this Bible up, it's like a mirror. I see God in here. I see His righteousness. I see His holiness. I see my sinfulness. And I see my unrighteousness. And I see a lot of things about me that I wish weren't true. I see a lot of things about me that I wish I could deny. A lot of things about me that I might tempt in my own self to, to excuse, justify, or whatever. But in the reality, in the last word, it's a reflection of who I am. How I respond to that determines where I go with Him. Getting back to Josiah, he hears these words read to him, and he's mortified by what he sees through what he hears. And he responds. He tears his robes. He weeps before God. He is humbled. And when Josiah realized the terrible state of Judah's religious life, he didn't just weep. He didn't just tear his robes, but he got up and he did something about it. Remember how young this man was? He's was probably about twenty six at this time. And he gets up and he does something about it. See, it's not enough to say we believe what is right. It's not enough to recognize what we believe and recognize what is right. We must respond with action to what we know is right. Doing what faith requires. And I found in my life it's much harder doing the real thing, the truthful thing, the loving thing. You know, you know what I've found, too, is that so many people, to avoid conflict, they, they, they won't speak truth to people. They'd rather say, oh, it's love to leave you in your sin and not talk to you about what's going on, because I don't want my relationship, if it's me and Hector, to be difficult. Rector, you know, if things are going good. I don't want to muddy the waters here, so... Yeah, Hector, I know you're, you're doing this and um, I don't agree with it, but guys have got to love. I'm just going to love him and leave it there. Sorry, Hector, you're just sitting right there. Um, you know, when it comes to lifestyles and choices, there's so many people that are living the wrong way. And if we really understand that that, that if we really believe what this word says, it says that their lifestyles, the consequences of their lifestyles, the consequences of their life decisions will actually lead them to hell. Let me ask you, how loving is it of you to say you're okay with them going to hell? Is that love? Why is it that we interpret that way? Why is it we say, oh, no, I don't want to say anything to them because it might muddy the waters and, and it doesn't look very loving. So it's much more loving of me to say, no, you know what? You're going to hell. I'm okay with it. Just don't want to muddy the waters because that's love got you right i'm working on my ghetto stuff we had a rap concert friday night so i'm i'm getting that was really bad okay so is that love it's not love how is love allowing someone to hurt themselves how is love going? I'm watching my little kid and he's running into the road and there's a tractor trailer coming towards him and the only way I can stop him is to tackle him. And if I tackle him, he might get a little bit bloody. I don't want him to get bloody, so ah. I'm going to love him by letting him run into a Mack truck because that's love. Now I'd much rather tackle him and have him get upset with me and go, what did you do that hurt? I got a bruise from that. To go, yeah, but I saved your life. I was willing to put my relationship with you online because I care more about you and where you really go. I'd rather have a difficult conversation with you because I truly love you and care about you and care where you end up. I'd rather jeopardize something that we think we have to save your life than to simply sit there and go, oh, I love you, and it's superficial and it's fake, and the only thing I'm doing is protecting myself. I don't want to be uncomfortable, so I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'd rather you go to hell than me feel uncomfortable. I'd rather justify your lifestyle than me feel uncomfortable, and I'm going to say it's because God's a God of love. I don't care how bad my kids think I hate them. I'm going to tell them don't drink poisonous things under the sink. And they may look at me and go, oh, if you love me, you'd let me drink this. No, I love you enough. If you touch that, I'm going to spank your hands. Oh, that's not love. Yeah, it's love because I don't want you to die. You know, as I, as I look at this and as we work with so many people, this is not just true with teens. You know what I see so many times? I see so many people, they, they, they read this and they go, man, I see this and, 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 and what I see are words of hate from God. He says, man, this whole thing on homosexuality, man, oh, that's, that's oh, he hates them. Oh, how can a God of love hate oh, I see this about about adultery, and oh, man, he hates them, and, and I see this, and man, I don't believe this is, God, how can a loving God? And we begin to look at it and tear it apart and go, oh, it's not love, and what we believe is going, oh, God condemns me in my sin. And we talked about this at youth group the other day. Actually, Corey did this one, and I loved it. The difference between condemnation and conviction And the enemy jumps in there and says, no, everything that God says about you is condemnation. And everything the church says about you is condemnation. They hate you, they hate the sin, and they hate you, and they wish you'd go to hell. But it's not condemnation, it's called conviction. And if we would read this and actually see it through the eyes of Christ, he says, listen, if you live this life, There are negative things that are going to happen to you. There are consequences to this. And I love you so much, I'm going to tell you about it. I love you so much that I'm going to tell you about it because I don't want you to die. And I know that you struggle in this. And I know that you struggle with your sin. And I know all of that is really hard for you. I know it's bigger than you. But i got a better solution too. I know it's bigger. I'm going to send my own son, Jesus. Because you can't do it by yourself. And I'm I'm going to let him die in your place so that you don't have to die. And all you need to do is recognize that this is wrong and recognize that the punishment that he went through is the punishment that you deserve. And if you recognize that and you ask him to forgive you, he forgives you and he sets you free. Tell me how that is not love. See, we understand this. The world understands this because if you're a good parent, You protect your kids even when they think you hate them. You ground your kids to teach them. You ground your kids to love them. You discipline them to love them, not to hurt them. And if you've been a parent long, you've probably heard your kid go, oh, you hate me. I'm okay with that. That's called manipulation. You don't give in to it. But you know what you're doing. And so God sees us in all of this. He sees you when you're hurt. He sees you in your pain. He sees you in your sinfulness. And he sees the consequences to your sin. And so in his love, he identifies it in his book and in his words. And he says, listen, I know it hurts. And I know it's hard. And when you read this, you go, man, this is talking about me. I don't feel loved right now by God. My parents disciplined me. I didn't feel the love emotionally, but it was love. And so we read this, and it breaks our hearts and go, I wish this isn't true of me. I wish there was another way. I wish this wasn't in here, because when I read this, it makes me feel horrible. I don't want to be this person. I don't want this to be about me. I don't want to feel this way. God says, I say this because I love you, and this is not what I have for you. You're running around and you're sleeping around and you're not married and you're trying to fill a hole. That's not what I have for you. Let me tell you, that will lead you to brokenness and emptiness. Not only going to lead you to diseases, but you won't fill anything and you're doing that and I'm identifying that, 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 that sex before marriage is wrong and it's not going to help you. And we look at it and you go, oh, well, the whole world is doing this. I don't know if I believe this. And so, no, God says this and he says this to you. He says, every time you do that, you give a piece of yourself away and I love you more than that. And I created you for something better, something more amazing. You have value. You have worth. Don't do that. You're worth so much more. And in his love, he says, don't do it. And Satan comes in and says, that's not love. That's condemnation. And he hates you. You don't need to go to church. Don't go to church and don't go, don't read his word because he hates you and he convinces us and we put this thing down and we go, I'm just going to turn the light off and stick my fingers in my ears and just keep living this life hoping that somehow through these relationships or whatever, any kind of sin that you're doing, that somehow I'm going to get this peace or joy that I'm looking for, this acceptance. People are hurting and they're dying. And Jesus' hand is out to say, I've already paid the price. I've I've already done this for you. How will you respond to me? But in your response, you have to recognize where you are. It's hard to recognize where you are. It's hard to look at yourself. It's hard to say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I don't like what I see. But I want to tell you, that is the first step to life. I have not met anyone yet that has gone through that recognition and the hurt and the pain and seen themselves where they are. They've gone through it and gone, man, this hurt, and they reach out to God. I see God set them free, and I want to tell you, being in my position and getting to watch God set people free is amazing. To see people literally step out of darkness and the weight of the world and the sins that they carry and the burdens, literally being enchained and enslaved and stepping into the life of Christ where God sets them free, watching them, that transformation, where where the depression turns into joy, a joy that the world can't give. I want to tell you, not one time have I heard them say, oh, I wish I could go back. I've never heard that. What I see is them go, I've got to take this to everybody else because there are so many other people. I know them, I've been around them, I've walked with them, I've lived with them, and they're hurting, and I just wish they could get a hold of what God's done in me. And that's what God calls us to do. And so Josiah, he looks at this, he sees himself, he sees his country and he's ashamed and he does what he's supposed to do. He recognizes it, he embraces it, he repents, he humbles himself, he gets up and he does something about it. You know what he does? He goes into the temple. Everything that, that glorified any other God, he tore down, he removed. He didn't just remove it. If you read it, it says... he. He lit it on fire, he burned it, he crushed it, he demolished it to dust, and then he took the dust and he spread, it, spread the dust all over the place. He got rid of any temptation. He got rid of any causes of sin, and then he attacked it and said, no, it's going to get, I'm going to get rid of it. And that should be our response. When we come confronted, we see ourselves, we recognize where we are. Listen, if you're struggling with pornography, guys, don't just go, oh, I'm struggling with this. Do something about it. Have accountability with someone. Listen, if your phone is a temptation, get a flip phone. I don't care if anybody makes fun of you. I don't care if it's slow. Guys, if, if your computer is a problem for you, I love in fireproof. Those of you who saw fireproof, their husband's struggling with pornography and, and, and it's tearing up his marriage, and finally he grabs the, the, the computer and he takes it and he throws it out the second floor window. Done. Hard to fix that. That's how you attack sin. That you attack it and you go, no, I'm not lying down to this. And you cry out to God and you ask him to help you. You ask him to strengthen you. And so Josiah does this. He sees all of the areas in, in, in the kingdom that are wrong and he attacks them and he goes after them. He actually restores Israel to, to where they should be. They celebrated the Passover for the first time in many, many years. It hadn't even been celebrated. And so here's this this young man who really, when you look at it, at eight years old, he shouldn't have the guts. You wouldn't have thought he had the confidence to walk away from, from the practices of his dad and of his grandfather, but he does through the power of God. He restores a young man at 39 when he dies. He'd done so much in Judah and Jerusalem. That he's recognized as one of the greatest kings. Do you know that he dies at age thirty nine, his son succeeds him, and within four years they've gone right back to pagan worship? Isn't that interesting. I want to ask you again. How do you respond when you open this word? How do you respond? For those Christians who are here, do you, really, do you really examine yourself when you open this? Do you justify yourself? Do you make excuses for yourself? Or do you embrace what you see and say, you know, God, this is a hard pill to swallow, but this is me. And I'm humbled and I'm sorry. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Would you help me? Would you show me the steps? What do you want me to do? How do I, how do I tackle this? Not through my own strength, but through yours. If you're here this morning, maybe you don't know God. And maybe all of your life you kind of felt rejected by the church, like you have to be perfect to be here. You know, there are these signs that say all are welcome. And what I hate about that is that what it says is, is you know, people come to us and go, oh, is everybody welcome at this church? And what they mean about that is, if you are a homosexual, can you come to this church? Right? That's typically what that means. Do you condone? I want to tell you, everyone is welcome in this church. But not everything is condoned in this church. Because condoning is not love. It's just not. Man, I've seen God do amazing things. I do not condone adultery. But adulterers are welcome to come here and not stay that way. I want to see God transform and set them free. I want to see people who are in bondage set free. I don't hate them. But I know that God has something better for them, no matter what lifestyle you have. You know, the people standing up on the hill protesting all these things with hate signs, they don't represent me, and they do not represent this church. I love God. I know that he sets me free as a sinner, and I know anybody from any lifestyle, if they will recognize it, not defend it, and just say, this is who I am. Yes, it would be easy if it wasn't in here. But yes, it makes it hard. But God, I know that you've said this, in me, said this to me and you've confronted this because you want to set me free. I want to be set free. If you will have that response, God can set you free. It doesn't matter what it is, whatever, whatever sin that God is highlighting. If we respond the right way, it says, his word says that he stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't kick your door in. And he says, my hand is out there for you and I've forgiven you already if you will just cry out to me. He's died for you. He's died in your place. And so some of us, we walk into a place like this and we feel condemned. We walk into a place like this we don't want to deal with ourselves. It's so much easier for us just to pretend it doesn't exist or that God's some angry God who hates me. That way I don't have to deal with it. And we walk into places like this and we walk out in the bondage that we came in, uh, in with. But I want to tell you, if you're here this morning, God is saying to you, I know he's saying this to you, is that he doesn't want you to live in the misery that you're living in. He doesn't want you to live in the emptiness that you're living in. He doesn't want you, your emotions to be, to, to, to be strung up by some guy or some gal. He doesn't want you looking for joy and peace in a relationship with somebody else. You can never bring that joy into your life. Only God can bring joy. And so in your emptiness and in your destruction and in your destructive ways, he loves you enough to identify them and say to you, this is, these are areas in your life that aren't right. These are areas of life in your life that, that, that are sin. And he doesn't do it to, to, to bring you death. He does it to bring you life. And if you respond and go, God, I see this in me, and I, I don't like it, and I'm struggling with all of these things, God, would you forgive me for them? You reach out when you do that, and you grab hold of his hand, and he says, I've got you. He goes, I've got you, and I've already paid for the consequences of those sins. Those sins, you deserve death. Just as, just as in this pastor deserved death for his sins. And he says, because of those sins, you deserve death, but I already died for you so that you don't have to. I've got you. Hold on to my hand and let me bring you out of darkness. Let me bring you out of these relationships. Let me bring you out of this hell that you live in and let me help you and let me restore you and let me strengthen you and let me give you life. And he promises us he will continue to identify areas in our lives because he loves us that aren't right to help us walk in real life and new life in him. And then he says to us, as I'm fixing you up, and as I'm loving you, take this to other people. Be willing to put your relationships on the line to bring them life. Please don't be so selfish. Please don't be so selfish to say, no, I don't want to ruin a relationship. Ask God to create an opportunity to have a loving conversation with someone. You don't go up to someone and go, oh, just you're going to hell. But you have a conversation with them and say, hey, listen, I believe God's got something better for you. And you walk with them and allow God, the Holy Spirit, to use you and walk with you and talk through you. And he tells us this. He goes, listen, your main mission, once you accept Christ, your main mission is to bring other people to him because he wants to do in them what he's done in you. He wants to set them free. He says, don't just sit in this. Take it to the world because he died for everybody. That they would cry out and respond to him. But in the end, the bottom line is this. It boils down to what your response will be. You have free choice. You can respond by closing the book. You can respond by saying, this is not what God has for me. You can respond by saying, I don't like the way this makes me feel. I think God is a bunch of baloney. I think his people are all this, and I'm going to walk away in my darkness. And that response is a response, or you can respond by recognizing where you are and saying, God, would you forgive me? Would you change me? Would you transform me? That I can be the person you want me to be? God, that you can set me free from the darkness and from the junk that I'm living in. That you can give me peace and give me joy. That you can fill the emptiness inside of my heart that is so there that I'm looking to other places to fill. God, would you set me free? Would you come to life? Would you forgive me? What will your response be? I want to close this service a little bit differently this morning. You know, I really believe that you, know, you don't have to always come forward to respond to God. You can respond right in your seat. But tonight, this morning, I feel something's different. Josiah, at age eight, had to make a gutsy decision. He had to make a decision to stand in opposition to the way his father went and the way his grandfather went. So many times in our lives, we get afraid So many times in our lives we go, well, I'll handle this later on, or I'll do this some other time, and we lack the confidence. I want to give you a chance to respond now. Not for me. It's got nothing to do with me. But for you. For you to look at your life right now and go, God, I know you're talking to me. God, there's things in here that identify the stuff in my life that I really wish wasn't there. God, I'm broken by it. I'm convicted by it. And I want it to be gone. And God, I know you're talking to me, and and I want to respond. Maybe you're here. You've never accepted Christ. I want to tell you, his hand is out right now, and he's saying, what will your response be? What you're responding to is between you and God. I'm not asking you to come up here and say what you're responding to, but I want to pray for you. If this is you, if God's speaking to you, just come to the front right now. Just come to the front. It's scary, isn't it? I mean it. These altars are open. If God is speaking to you right now, if God is saying, hey, I'm identifying things in your life, come to the front. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will strengthen you. and God sees your heart. You know what this is? This is a response of saying, "God, I see myself, and I'm humbled, and I'm broken, and I'm remorseful, and I'm sorry." This is a picture of Josiah tearing his robes and going, "God, I don't want to be this person anymore. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? How can you? How would you help me?" I'm going to ask Jimmy to put some music on. I'm going to give you some more opportunity. I'm going to begin to pray but I want to challenge you man don't stay back there if God's talking to you if God's talking to you would you respond to him would you reach out to him and say God would you forgive me guys I'm going to pray for you but far more important than my prayer for you is your prayer to him it's got nothing to do with me as I pray would you just forget everybody else that's here and would you begin just to think about the thing that God has his finger on in your life and would you just begin to say God this is it I want this God. God, this is it. I've been denying it. I've been pretending it isn't there. I've been pretending it's too small. I've just closed the book. I've turned the light off. But the reality of it is that this is a picture of me, and it disgusts me, and I hate it, and it breaks my heart. But God, I'm recognizing it. It's me. I don't want it to be me anymore. This morning, I'm giving it to you. I'm tearing my robe, so to speak, and I'm asking you to take it from me. I'm asking you to set me free. Would you just begin to pray, and I'm just going to pray over you. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. And God, I thank you that your love is so great, Lord God, that your love is so strong for us. God, that you wouldn't just risk relationship. God, you died to bring us life. God, it's like you jumped in front of the truck to push us out of the way so that we might live, Lord God. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us so much, Lord God, that that you're going to tell us the truth, that you're going to confront us, that you're going to put your finger on things, Lord God. And I recognize this morning that that is a picture of love in my life. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me for denying it, for pushing it to the side, for pretending it's not there, for justifying it. Would you forgive me, Lord Jesus? I recognize it as sin, and God... Would you strengthen me? I need your strength to overcome this area in my life. Would you help me? Would you transform me? God, I want to walk in victory through you, Lord God. God, I thank you so much for loving me so much to point this out to me. I want to pray another prayer. And if you're here this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I want you to know that's the most important thing you can do. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you want to accept Jesus, just agree with me. What I'm going to pray is this. We're going to recognize that we are sinners. We're going to recognize that we've lived our own lives, that we've lived rebellious lives, and we've lived our lives contrary to the way He'd want us to live them. We're going to recognize that He is the Son of God, that He came and He died as a perfect sacrifice to take my place so that I wouldn't have to die. And I'm going to ask him to come into our, my life. We're going to ask him to come into our lives to forgive us. We're going to lay our lives down and say, God, I no longer want to be in control of my life. I want to live my life for you. I want to say, if you pray this prayer with me, and you mean it, he will come in and he will set you free. If you pray this prayer and you don't mean it, it means nothing. It's simply works. But I believe God's brought people here into this place this morning because he wants to set you free. And his hand is being held out to you, and your response at this time is critical. i want to tell you guys, we don't have a long time to respond. At some point, it times out. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait forever to respond to God. Lord Jesus, we just come before you, God. God, I want to thank you for the people you've brought into this place this morning. And for those who do not know you, Lord God, those who want to pray this prayer, would you just be there with them as they pray? Well, Jesus, I recognize that you are the Son of God. Just agree with me if this is what you want in your life. That I recognize you're the Son of God. I recognize that, that in my life, I've lived a life contrary to what you have for me. I've rebelled against you. I've done things my own way. And I've made a mess of my life. That I recognize the punishment that I deserve for doing that and doing things my way is death. But I also recognize that you are the Son of God and you came and you lived on this earth and you lived the perfect life because you had me on your mind. And God, that you took, Jesus, you took the punishment that I deserve, the death on a cross, you took that in my place so that I wouldn't have to die. You died to forgive me, to set me free. And this morning I ask you now, would your death on that cross cover me? Would you forgive me and would you wash me of all of my sins? I give my life to you. I no longer want to be in charge of my life. I want you to be the Lord, the King of my life. I want to live my life for you. Forgive me, wash me, and set me free. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. Jimmy's going to play some music. If you need some time to pray up here, I don't want to chase you off. But to take this home with you. When you read your word, man, go, go home and read your word. And I pray God challenges you. I pray that every time you open it, you come face to face with something else that God has put his finger on. And more importantly than that, too, take it to somebody else who doesn't know him. Bring life to those who are in darkness. Love isn't taking the easy way out. Love is taking the hard way. Risking the relationship to say, say, to tell someone how much God loves them. We love you guys. Go in peace. We'll see you next week. You guys are welcome to stay and pray. Or...